One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. But it's that right so join me home. Thousand and one by one, where each week we take a film out of the book, a thousand and one movies you must see before you die. Discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. With us in spirit, as always, is Ian Woodington, and I am thrilled to have back former co-host, former guest, current brother-in-law. <laughs> uh, Chaz Besmer, Chaz, how are you? I'm hanging in there, man. Thank you for having me on. Uh, had a blast doing this last time, and it's an honor to be uh, be a part of it and to, to chat about the movie we're going to talk about today. So, thank you. Yeah. I, so I was I was re-listening to the Blair Witch episode that we did. Um, I didn't get all the way through it, but I was listening, and it was great. It was it's a great time capsule because we were just just chatting before I hit record about you currently have a, a nine month old and. At the point of uh, the episode, he he wasn't quite here yet. It was very close. Yeah, we were we were uh, I think about oh god a month or so out from him him arriving. I think a week after we recorded that uh, episode, my wife uh, had to go into the hospital um, because they had to monitor her for a handful of weeks prior to uh, to to the little guy arriving. Yeah. And so yeah, I think that was uh, recording the podcast was kind of my last hoorah before <laughs> commuting uh, to Overlake Hospital in Bellevue, Washington, and uh, and doing all that. So yeah, gosh, it, that you're right. That was the last time I was free. That was the last time I could uh, I could get a decent night of sleep. So. <laughs> and I'm, I'm only laughing out of a shared pain. Yeah, no, exactly. I, you get it. I, I you absolutely get it. Absolutely. And, and, and they're seven and four, and it's it's still a thing. Okay. Like like what? And and for a while, it was it was Stella. It was our oldest who was like, I don't want to sleep in my room. I'm gonna sleep with you guys. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess this is just this is just part of so life what, now. What you're saying is it's not gonna end anytime soon. No, it'll just yeah. go through peaks and valleys. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll look forward to a peak because right now it feels like a valley. So, but uh, no, little guy's doing great. He's awesome. Yeah. So, little, yeah. little Ethan. Yep. Um. So, uh, it, when you came on, uh, before it was for Blair Witch, it was our it was our Halloween episode, and and me knowing you and knowing your your love of horror films, um it made a whole lot of sense to me to invite you on for that one. When I put out uh, like feeler emails to, for this special run of episodes that I'm doing, I, I kind of had everybody rank their choices and I'll, well, I don't want to get into it yet, but the, obviously we're talking about American graffiti today. And this was your number one of the movies that I, I ran through. So I, I just want to, I'm, I'm going to leave that out there for now. And then I'll, I'll come back to that yeah. uh, before we start talking about it. Um, Absolutely. <clears throat> but as we always do, uh, we will um, start off with some recommends, and Chaz is our guest. I'd love to hear what you're recommending this week. Well, uh, my lovely wife let me sneak out of the house for a couple hours yesterday, actually. Oh, I think I know where this is going. Yes, uh, there's no mirrors in here. No, okay. well, there okay. is. Right okay, over there. Just don't look in it. Uh, I went and saw the uh, the new Candyman, Nia DaCosta's Candyman, and I am going to, to recommend it. Uh, for me, uh, uh, as you mentioned, big horror fan, and usually when these kind of 
legacy characters. There's new movies coming out uh, involving them or, or you know, the, the series. I, I'm very skeptical and I'm sure. very cynical about it. I, I'm a dick about it. <laughs> let's just be honest. Um, but I was interested in Candyman, you know, produced by Jordan Peele. I've enjoyed his, his uh, previous films. Um, and it was... It was refreshing to see that uh, if you've never seen the original Candyman, Bernard Rose's uh, Candyman, mm-hmm. you you can watch this and and go in fine. Like so, for a younger uh, audience that may not be familiar with the the original, you can go in and see it. The way they connect it through like these uh, puppetry flashbacks is is awesome. Um, the visuals, it it has a great uh, style to it. Um, I was just ultimately, I think, just surprised that that I responded as positively as I did, because usually I'll come out of something like this and be like, oh, that sucked. I hated it. Then I'll watch it again when it comes out on disc or whatever and be like, oh, actually, it was really good. I'm just like I said, a dick. <laughs> but um, but no, uh, the new Candyman was it was really well done. Um, yeah. And the thing that captured me the most about it is yes it is violent there is there is that kind of horror element of the gore and whatnot but the sound design in it is fantastic and and just uh yeah i go see it um don't say his name five times i won't do it so yeah uh, the tr- i mean i i i hate trailers i really do uh so much but but that's actually i mean and there is i think with a legacy character like that there's some there's already something that you know going in so i feel like a trailer won't ruin it and the trailer looks great and it gives you a hint at that sort of shadow puppetry thing which is which i really is what struck me most about the trailer was that i go okay this is gonna throw in some other stuff yeah um I, I would recommend people watch the Tony Todd Virginia Matson oh, one. Um, it's it's definitely got that early '90s vibe to it, but yeah. it's still it's it's an entertaining movie. Yeah, the the '90s I think were just kind of tough for horror in general. We're coming out of the '80s, the heyday of the slasher and yeah. and uh, makeup effects and stuff. MPAA is coming down hard on everything, so not really until you know you get to the latter part of the '90s with Scream and the Kevin Williamson yeah. stuff, the mm-hmm. self referential stuff. It was just kind of this bleak period, and I am a fan of slashers. That's kind of just what I grew up watching as far as horror and Candyman was kind of the last character I think to come out to come out of the you know 80s into the early 90s that uh that was awesome and I mean very similar obviously to the Bloody Mary legend but Mm -hmm. uh but you know with the Clive Barker element to it the Clive Barker's an interesting dude. His I've I've read uh, some of his stuff, and man, that guy. Woof. You know, I was actually in a Clive Barker play once. Which play? It's called The History of the Devil. Oh. I was in it in in, in college, but Western, and it's it's like a three hour play. It's like the devil is on trial, and it's like all these times in history where he's sort of like meddled in things oh nice it's i mean it wasn't like gruesome it was just long and it was yeah. weird though because you hear clive barker and you think one thing and then mm-hmm. there's this play and i'm like oh this really isn't not, not yeah not what not, i thought not what you're gonna expect from him because yeah like his stuff i mean from hellraiser or yeah. i think the book was hellbound heart um forgive me if i messed that up uh, i'm sure your listeners will let you know that guy doesn't know shit but uh <laughs> but you know it was a short story i read and i i did clive barker but it's um his stuff can be kind of intense to get through sometimes. Yeah. So I appreciate the, uh, the, the movie versions of his stuff, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think, I know there were some sequels to Candyman, um, uh, in the, in throughout the nineties. And I think maybe into early 2000 or something, they, they came out with a third one that weren't much, but Tony Todd, 
he's awesome. Um, and just the way they, like I said, they connect this new one. It, it's mostly, uh, they're just focusing on the original, uh, Bernard Rose one. Yeah. But, uh, the way they tie it together and there's, there's some cool little, uh, Easter eggs throughout it. And, uh, yeah, I, it just, especially, you know, depending on when this releases, we're getting close to Halloween. Uh, probably it'll be available on, on demand or, or whatnot by then. So definitely check it out if you can't get to it in the theaters. I know I, w- whether or not we can <clears throat> in the theaters, this is, you know, and it's funny cause like I've, I've been forced forced to watch so much horror over the last few years because that's just Melissa loves it. Yeah. A lot of bad. But when we find the the diamonds in the rough, it's like, oh sweet. That's that's cool. I love it. I if, if there's a horror movie I like, I, I usually champion it for a long time because like you should watch this movie because I don't like horror, but this was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um I'm kind of thrilled that you have a horror one because I do too. And I didn't actually think that I would. That wasn't intentional because because you were coming mm-hmm. on the show. I just I looked through what I had watched recently and I have a lot of like, yeah, these were okay. But um, I think it was last weekend. Uh, you know, it, it's like getting late. Girls are asleep. It's that weird period where it's like, do we start something or do we not start something? And we're looking through Netflix and we stumbled across this movie that I know I had heard of and never watched. And so I my recommend is Unfriended. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen um, it. Yep. Which, you know, I, the, like... And after our Blair Witch episode, like I do like I like found footage and I like um, things that seem like they're real. I still I still haven't seen Wreck yet, but um, mm. but like I host I like um, Paranormal Activities uh, one and three in particular I like. So this one is just a group of friends over like a Skype call, and uh, they they have a friend in, who was in high school who basically killed herself after this um, like terrible video gets yeah. uploaded yeah, to yeah, YouTube. Yeah. And so these group of friends are getting on a chat to, to talk. And then there's this like, you know, blank face, unnamed person up there too. And, and then this, this entity starts fucking with them. Like mm-hmm. we're going to play a game. And basically throughout the course of the movie, this entity gets all these people to admit these truths to each other. And, and like, it's like these, these friends end up turning on each other. And then like the way that they kind of go, it's a horror movie. So there's some couple of moments of, of death. That's, mm-hmm. Um, but I, I thought it was really witty the way they did it. It it was kind of fun and and uh, quick paced. The movie at the end, like the you know, it can't help but want to show you a kind of monster at the end in a way. But I but put that aside. I thought like the stakes felt real, and I kind of bought what everybody was doing. And I don't know. I I was and we just kind of randomly found it on Netflix, thinking that we would stop it at some point. But we didn't. We just yeah. finished it. I, I, um, the the wife and I watched that when it uh, when it came out. I think we the uh, handful of years it uh, came out um, ago. The handful of years ago that it came out, we we rented it and watched it. And I was really surprised too because yeah, I mean, found footage is is really hard. I think to pull off successfully or to, you know, you always have to warn, why is the camera running? Why is this that, you know, why are yeah. you recording this? And I thought, I thought, um, unfriended. I was really surprised by, isn't it the guy who directed wanted or did he produce? Am I, I no. So, so I looked, I looked it up because I, I was like, well, I wonder if this person went on doing anything. I'm going to probably say this guy's name wrong. Levan Gabriadzi. He's from the Republic of Georgia. This was the last thing that he di- directed. He did a documentary a couple of years ago, but in terms of like making things, this is it. Really? Yeah. Oh gosh, I I swear that uh, the guy who directed wanted maybe produced it or something. I may be way and off. And on he's that. got a oh god, I, I Timmer. Yes, he's I got a crazy name too. And I don't. That's but out there. I'm not making fun of it. But yeah, no, he's no, no, got no. A, a hard name to pronounce as well. Hold on, what do we got here? 
Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, Timur Bekmambatov was a producer on it. Okay, You're totally yeah. right. I remember yep. just seeing that, and and because that, you know, obviously going from Wanted to Unfriended, which is a significantly lower budget movie. Like yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was a cool uh, leap that he did, even you know, just to, even as a as a producer. But uh, but yeah, no, I I really enjoyed Unfriended. I never saw the uh, the sequel, Dark Web. Yeah, um, I didn't either. Which, from what I understand, I don't think there's really a supernatural element to it. I think it's just about the dark web, which is scary enough, but, uh, but, um, yeah, no, unfriended. Awesome. Oh, I didn't know that was on uh, Netflix. I might have to do a rewatch. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, I was surprised it was like 10 and we thought we were just could have sworn it was going to be like, Oh, we'll get back to it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, yep. we just, it kept us engaged the entire time. That's awesome. There was, uh, it reminds me, there was a movie that came out. It, it seems like a perfect kind of pandemic movie too, uh, in the sense that you feel like they could have shot that during, you know, COVID over the past few years, uh, past 18 months or whatever yeah. it's been. But, uh, there, there was a movie that came out. I can't remember. It was a shutter. Yeah. Um, uh, the one where they're on Zoom, the five girls. Yes, host. Yes, yes host. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, host is great. Yeah. Yep. That that was really good. They reminded me a little bit of unfriended in unfriended, at least in like kind of you know with the video chat and how yeah. they were doing that. Yeah. And so when you said unfriended, and I thought. I liked, from what I remember, I liked Unfriended better than Host. I need to watch Host again because I saw it right when it came out. And again, me being the dick that I am, everyone was like, oh, you got to see this. It's so great. And, and so I kind of go in. I'm like, it's not going to be that good. I enjoyed it, but I need to watch it again because I know it is good. I'm just being yeah, a dick. I, I bought so, it. I, yeah. I did. Yeah. I really, we, and we rewatched it. Was basically, and it's, it, and that's, Host is funny too because like Host is less than an hour. Oh, yeah. And I know the whole thing is that it's like the length of a Zoom call mm-hmm. if you don't have Pro or whatever, yeah. which, which yep. is great because then there's the ticking clock aspect of it mm-hmm. too, kind of at Absolutely. the end. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no. It, it the, the, the setup of it was really great. I think, you know, I was probably just jaded at the time more so because I'm like, oh God, the, you know, the, the world's coming to an end. We have to stay inside. Nothing's going to, nothing's going to tickle my fancy at this point, but no, it, it's uh, I'll, I'll give that one a rewatch too. So, well, perfect. So two, it's great. Two horror recommendations, the new Candyman and unfriended, uh, on a, on a weekend where we're talking about <laughs> a 70s film about the 50s. It's, it's perfect. Um, so uh, we are talking about uh, American graffiti. So there'll be lots of stops and starts before we even get to, like, I guess, our thoughts on the movie. Because So it's directed by George Lucas. And we'll probably just stop right there. Because <laughs> in terms of, of the book, he's only got one other thing in the book. And that's <laughs> the original Star Wars. <laughs> So my first question, and I and I, I know I've had this conversation with other people before too, is what is George Lucas's legacy going to be? And and, and, and what I mean by that is, is if you look at him as a director, he's got THX one one three eight, which is not very good. Mm. It's it's okay. I'm sure sci fi lovers enjoy it for what it is. And then there's this, which is so wickedly different from everything else that he does. He's got Star Wars. The prequels, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Now, as a as an engineer, as somebody who pioneered like special effects and sound, and like you know, there's Luke, Lucas Ranch and Skywalker's like all of that stuff. Like, I think what he's done for filmmaking is great, but when you look back at like his his filmography, I think it leaves a lot to be desired. Absolutely. He's he's a really interesting dude, and I mean, you hear the name George Lucas, and yeah, you know, Star Wars comes to mind, and it's you know. It's it's amazing. Like what his ideas and his concepts are are phenomenal, um, and yeah, it was it was interesting. American Graffiti seems so random for him. I mean, it, like it, and I know we're gonna get into it and, and, and share our thoughts, but you know, just 
I will say, though, I think it makes sense to me a little bit in the directing style in American Graffiti. And what I mean, I think... Ah, I don't know how to say that. I think George Lucas is a rather bland director. I, okay. I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think, and not, not to, I think Star Wars is, is amazing. Again, that was just a groundbreaking film, as is this. I just think that, and you hear him in interviews and stuff, he just doesn't seem interesting. I don't know what no, it is no, about, no, no, you know what I'm that's saying? That's not it's, far off. Yeah. I, I watched the, um, there was a, like a making of, mm-hmm. well, yeah. making of isn't like a retrospective documentary yep. with it. And I watched it and you know, it was a lot of like, I shot with long lenses and, and was out of the way. And, 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 you know, because I, it's so funny. He says he wrote the script, which eh, did he? Um, but like, I know he did, I know he co-wrote it and had, and we'll get to Gloria Katz and Willard Hike in a second. But, um, this idea of just telling the actors, like, you know what? I give you full permission to change whatever yeah. line you want to. He definitely gave, I think, a gr- it's a great sign of a director in terms of trusting your actors is to let them let them improv, let them feel the scene out. But I also feel like some of those scenes do feel bland because it's just the cameras back here. Yeah, you know, it's and and it's. I think if you're, this is one of those things where I'm watching the I'm watching the retrospective and I'm going. I bet these actors had a blast on set, mm-hmm. feeling like they can just kind of be the character and ease into it, which is great. But visually though, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. That's, that's where I, that, that's, I think what it is more so. Cause yeah, I mean, the cast is great and the cast, uh, is entertaining as hell. Like I, to me, I, I thought like their interactions and, and just, I think he knew, yeah, I have great actors, like go do your thing. I'm not going to step in and, and, but I also think he was just kind of back there. I, well, as, and the, the production was very, rushed and had, you know, like a, a lot of issues oh, you know, yeah. with the, the filming and whatnot. But, um, I think, and maybe that, that is the, like you said, uh, just the sign of a great director is he knows like, Hey, I'm not going to give these people anything uh, better than they're going to come up with themselves. And, and they inhabit the roles. They, they can, you know, adapt to the dialogue and what the character would do in these situations. It just did feel like you said, it's, I think the visual approach to it was very, um, just kind of, stoic to me a little bit like i mean you have all these ah uh, yeah it, it's I'm, I'm having a tough time with this actually because like the visuals of all the cars and everything is is fantastic and maybe it's just uh, i'm a little bit jaded you know all these years later that you're used to seeing the camera do all these other things like a like a scorsese approach or something yeah. where like there's a more um visual style to it and that being said i think the visual style for this it works i wish it was a little more dynamic and i know that they they did a lot of things that weren't necessarily um typical filmmaking at the time you know shooting with two cameras and stuff yep um but it just i i think the the characters are are fantastic in it i just wanted i think a little bit more pop visually like to to get that but it makes up for it with the music and the soundtrack, which I know oh. we'll, we'll, oh, yes. we'll definitely touch on. Indeed, so, yeah. indeed. Uh, so, so uh, basically, George Lucas was kind of pushed by Francis Ford Coppola after the not so great success of THX to to make something more friendly, audience friendly that people would come see. So he wrote some of it. He got Gloria Katz and Billard Hike to write a treatment. There's a whole thing about how he took the treatment around and he, he I think he coerced somebody from United Artists to give him money to write the script. Went. Uh, Gloria Katz and Willard Hike were committed to another project. So, we, and he didn't say who. That I was really interested in that. On the retrospective, he said he hired another screenwriter 
to take the treatment and fill it out. The the screenplay then was not something that he wanted to shoot. So now mm-hmm. he's out of money with a script he doesn't like. So then he rewrote it. That script eventually got picked up. And then Gloria Katz and Willard Hyde came back to rewrite yeah. that before the shoot. Mm-hmm. By the way, if you don't know, Willard Hike is the director of one of the best bad movies of all time in Howard the Duck, um, which, again, it, it's you have to watch Howard the Duck. You you can't go through your life and not watch Howard the Duck. I, I, I When I saw that he had written that, well, I was actually surprised because he he worked with Lucas uh, quite yeah. a bit. You mm-hmm. know, did um, did uh, uh, The Temple of Doom, yep. uh, which is my favorite indie movie. I, that And... I could see why the PG-13 rating was created after Temple of Doom and Gremlins came out, because good <laughs> Lord, that movie's PG, and they're ripping out hearts and eating monkey brains. But yeah, I, I I believe I've seen Howard the Duck. I do not remember it. It hasn't been since like it came out back in, in the 80s, I, if, if I have ever seen it. But I need to, because it just looks bonkers. Oh, man. If, if I haven't, I, I need to, to, to get on that or revisit it. It's Leah Thompson being just as charming and beautiful as Leah Thompson ever was. And Tim Robbins in it doing like, like I, I forget that like for a while there, Tim Robbins wasn't Tim Robbins. He was like Tim Robbins and Bull Durham and Tim Robbins and this and mm-hmm. Tim Robbins and Top Gun, like playing these weird, like, well, I guess maybe it could come full circle in like War of the Worlds, but like, <laughs> he, it's just like, he is just going for it. Yeah. Just yep. going for it. I cannot recommend Howard the Duck enough. That, okay. That's a like, but I mean, get drunk or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, don't, no, don't watch it sober. I, I feel I feel like that's definitely a movie, you know, and, you know, pound a couple beers, push play and keep going with the the, the rest of the six pack or something Indeed. like that. So, Indeed. yeah. Um, so then we'll we'll talk about the cast. There's there's a lot of people. I'm, I'm focusing more on our core group of guys and some of the ancillary characters. So, um. I'll just kind of blow through them. First, we got Richard Dreyfus as Kurt. Ron Howard as Steve. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. I want to cut just because he's credited as Ronnie Howard. Oh, Ronnie no, Howard. I just, no, I, it yes. is Ron Howard. But when no, I no. saw that, I was like, Ronnie Howard. That's weird, man. And then you remember he's only like 18 when he does it. I just wanted to throw that out there. Seeing Ronnie well, Howard is just, it was weird to me. I was like, what? He, he went by that at some point? It's so, so funny because this, I, I couldn't help but think about this movie and some of these people in here and how... Like certain people see actors in a certain way, like like you know the generation above us, our parents, they see somebody like Elliot Gould. This is a weird example, but but stick with me. <laughs> Elliot Gould, the guy who was in all of these Robert Altman films in the seventies, right? Kind of a, a a charming leading man of that era, but like to somebody like me, he's Monica and Ross's dad on Friends, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. then you come back, and it's like, oh yes, of course. So like I I know Ron Howard was in this, and I know that he was uh, on the Andrew Griffith Show and stuff, but like. It was so weird to hear his voice and not think of the narrator in Arrested Development. Yeah. Because that's just like, that's how I know him. Yep. So. Yeah. Exactly. No. I, and it's, it's even like, I mean, of course, uh, Happy Days, uh, you know, I yeah. used to watch that back in the day, the reruns and whatnot. But, uh, but I just think of him as a director now pretty yeah. much, you know, primarily. Uh, and it just seemed, like I said, Ronnie Howard. I was like, wow. I yeah, and little, anyways, I didn't little Ronnie Howard. Yeah, little yeah. Ronnie Howard. I just wanted to pinch his cheeks or something. It was, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, sorry. Uh, no, 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 that was great. So, uh, we have Paul Amott, uh, who plays Milner, and Charles Martin Smith pay, plays Terry the Toad. And those are our four main guys. And then we have Cindy Williams, who plays Lori, who is Kurt's sister and also Steve's girlfriend, uh, who people will know from Laverne and Shirley. Uh, Mackenzie Phillips plays Carol. That Carol is the the young girl who ends up in in uh, John's car 
which is a we'll talk about the different through lines because there's we got the four stories and they're all they're all something. Uh, Candy Clark, uh, Candy Clark plays Debbie. That is the blonde who Terry is sort of um, trying to show his worth to throughout mm-hmm. the movie. And then the other characters I wanted to point out, um, we got Harrison Ford, uh, who plays uh, Bob Falfa. <laughs> who is sort of the, the, the other racer guy yeah. in the movie. Um, I only want to call her out because uh, Kathleen Quinlan is in this as a small role of Peg, yep. um, which is great. Uh, Suzanne Summers, this is another one. Suzanne Summers is the blonde in the T-Bird, who I'm sure m- most people would go, oh, she's from Three's Company. But I'm like, no, she's from Step by Step. Yep. That's, she's my TGIF regular. Yep, yep, yep. So there's that. And then, uh, obviously, we got Wolfman Jack in there, too, as, yeah. as the DJ. Um, I, there are other... I didn't. I left out the Pharaohs. I left out some other people. I don't know, because they're only in it for a little bit. Yeah. And whatever. No, I think that, that that's that's a perfect cap of the cast right there. Um, so in terms of accolades... Uh, so this was up for a bunch of Oscars. It was up for Best Picture, Director, Supporting Actress for Candy Clark, um, Original Screenplay, and Editing. So... Candy Clark lost um, supporting actress to Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon, which I haven't seen, but I'm, I think she still holds the record for the youngest Academy Award winner. I think I might be wrong about How that. How old was she? Like nine, ten, nine. She was young in Paper How Moon. How old was Anna Paquin when she won for? I think a little. Oh, older. she was twelve, okay. eleven, okay. twelve. Okay. I, see, and I, I they're yeah, close. I was. They're really I, close okay. in age. Well, still, um, nonetheless, yeah, <laughs> they've accomplished more by twelve than I have in forty <laughs> plus years. So there you go. But all the other, uh, the, all the other nominees uh, or nominations that had it lost to the Sting. So I want to give you this is the best picture bunch from that year. So we have the Sting, which wins. Um, other films nominated that year were The Exorcist, A Touch of Class, and Cries and Whispers. So as of Friday night, I have now seen all of the best picture nominees from this year. Exorcist, no brainer I'd seen before. Um, the Sting, I rewatched this week just to kind of have it in my brain. Still a fun movie. Cries and Whispers was an episode we did on this show, and that movie is so good. All right. It, I that, haven't seen it yet. It's, I, have I, and I have a big Bergman box set, and I've only seen four movies out of it, but like Cries and Whispers is such a, you know, it sounds weird and I don't know, maybe not woke or whatever to say this, but like the way that he wrote women, like his, the female performances in his movies are always phenomenal. And and part of that's picking good actors, but the writing is also really good. Mm-hmm. Um, A Touch of Class was the last one I watched. Fucking terrible. Okay. It is God <laughs> awful. It's all about this, like this couple who like are trying to have an affair and then it goes wrong, but then it doesn't. And then they like get a flat and it's like their place where they meet. It tries to be funny. I don't, maybe it was funny in 73. I don't know. It was just like, I'm watching this thing going, this is one of the worst <laughs> best picture nominated films I've ever seen in my life. It's not That's good. going on the list too. I love, I love, uh, I love when people say this is the worst, like the worst best picture nomination I've ever seen. Oh, that's going it's, in the player later. Yeah, so, yeah. It's really not good. I, yeah. Um, at the BAFTAs that year, um, uh, Cindy Williams was nominated for Supporting Actress, not Candy Clark. She lost to uh, Ingrid Bergman for Murder, Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, this was a big hit at the Golden Globes. It won Best Picture Comedy and Most Promising Promising Male new- Newcomer, Paula Matt. Rich, uh, Richard Dreyfuss lost Best Actor and it lost Best Director. Side note, Paula Matt. I, I only know him from one other thing. I, I, I happened a couple months ago to watch a movie called Melvin and Howard, which is an early Jonathan Demme film. Okay. Um, Mary Steenburgen won Best Supporting Actress for it. Um, it's this fiction. Well, it's like the semi-fictional tale about Howard Hughes, mm-hmm. and like how one day this guy named Melvin like picked him up to give him a ride, and like years later puts him in his will. 
but it's basically about it's about Melvin's life and him with it's it's I don't know it's the it's this quirky weird little movie that is all the more interesting because you find out it was based on like kind of real events but it's a weird it's a weird little movie. Okay, I'm, I'm, it's yeah, because when when I saw him in this and the name, I was like, I know that name. I, this guy looks so familiar, and I was looking at his filmography, and I was like, wait, I I must have him confused with someone else. Although the gem in his <laughs> me being the the shitty horror movie fan, I don't know if I'd call this shitty. It's kind of a classic in its own right. The uh, Puppet Master, the oh. the uh, Full Moon Puppet Master. He was in the original. Oh uh, man! Kind of, so I don't know if I've seen that. But I, I know haven't of seen it. it in a long time. It's uh, <laughs> probably for the the best i mean the first one i think was okay i don't know why we're talking about puppet master there's more important things to be, <laughs> no, it's, to be it's doing, all good but it's all good yeah and yeah i mean he was in american history x oh shit was he i said i mean i don't know how big the role was I'm oh trying wow to see i think it was a smaller role well, it's looking like but yeah i was i was surprised to see that and i was trying to place him there um yeah i mean he's he's seemingly done quite a bit lonesome dove uh the series yeah. and whatnot but yeah no he i like like i said i i could swear i was like this guy i i know i'm gonna look at his filmography and be like oh yeah him, him. nope yeah. <laughs> i, I yeah. could not place him uh just a couple other things it had it picked up a dga and a wga nomination um it is currently number 62 on the AFI's top 100. It moved up 15 spots from 77 on the first list it is not currently on the imdb top 250 Hey, Chaz, was this movie inducted into the National Film Registry? Indeed it was, sir. It was. In, in 1995, um, some of the other films from that year, uh, uh, episodes we did on this show were North by Northwest and The Philadelphia Story. Uh, some other films were The Adventures of Robin Hood, Cabaret, The Conversation, Stagecoach, and To Kill a Mockingbird, just to name a few of the 25 that were inducted that year. Oh, conversation is boy Francis Ford. I know. I need to. I need to. I still haven't seen that. Yeah, I, I'm right it, there with you. I, the, people listening to this can be like, "Hey, your your guest here doesn't really watch any movies. Why is he even talking right now?" No, so. there's always there's always like the conversation will always be that one. It's it's still the John Cazale film I haven't seen. Yeah. I just need to to watch it. Um, it has a 96 percent critical and an 84 percent audience on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so in terms of reviews, I. I'm going to read part of this one, but then I, I always, if I can find like a, a nice kind of scathing one, I, I'll, I'll grab it. And I, I, I have part of one. So um, A.D. Murphy for Variety definitely hit on a lot of the themes I think people responded to. He says, American Graffiti occupies that very lonely ground between the uptight, misunderstood teenage mellers of its era and the beach party fluff on which American International held the only successful patents. Its milieu is the accumulated junk and materialism of the Eisenhower years, an endowment of tin theology and synthetic values, which in younger generations sowed the seeds of an incoherent unrest that would mature violently a decade later. Later on, he goes, there is brilliant interplane and underplane of script performers and direction, which will raise howls of laughter from audiences yet never descends on the screen to overdone mugging, pratfall, and other heavy-handed devices normally employed. Some petting scenes get their point across without the patronizing voyeurism so often found in nostalgia pics. The filmmakers' hearts obviously were with their characters all the way. Lucas has done a truly masterful job, and it ends with, without exception, all players fit perfectly into the concept and execution, and all the young principals and featured players have a bright and lengthy future. And so does Lucas. American Graffiti is one of those rare films which can be advanced in any direction of the superiority of film films over line per, live performances. The latter can vary from show to show, but if you get it right on film, you've got it forever. 
Pauline Kale <laughs> was not as happy with the movie. Nope. <laughs> and she said that it, it fails to be anything more than a warm, nice, draggy comedy because there's nothing to back up the style. The images aren't visually striking as they would be if they were if there were a mind behind them. The movie has no resonance except for the jukebox sound and the eerie nocturnal jukebox looks. She also mentioned how she didn't like the epilogue and the fact that she doesn't mention the fates of the female characters, which, again, we will talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess the last thing before we get into plot and our thoughts is, Chaz, do you like lists? I love lists. I love lists, too. And I I also I love lamp. So um, I I I didn't I don't I was hard to find one uh, that I wanted to do that wasn't just like a a generic one. So I but it it still kind of isn't is I went with. Roger Ebert's top 10 of 1973. So here they are. Um, number 10 was The Friends of Eddie Coyle. All I know about that is it's a Peter Yates film and it's uh, was recently put into the Criterion Collection. Number nine was Fellini's Roma, which is also in the Criterion Collection. Fellini is not somebody I haven't delved into enough. I've mm-hmm. seen eight and a half. Yeah, Didn't yeah, like very, it. very, uh, very uh, minimal experience myself there. So. Yeah, uh, number eight, and the reason we're here is American Graffiti. Uh, number seven, which is a movie I really enjoy, The Day of the Jackal. Have you seen The Day of the Jackal? I have not. It's about this uh, assassin who's paid to basically, I think he's going to kill the president of France, I think. And, and, and But um, it shows his ends of things, like how he scouts and what he's trying to do. But then it shows the police side and then it kind of comes to a head. It's a longer movie, but it's mm-hmm. it's it's worth it's worth a view. Right. Uh, number six, The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Number five, The Iceman Cometh. And there are a bunch of film versions of this. So I, I looked. This is the one that was directed by John Frankenheimer with uh, Lee Marvin and Jeff Bridges. Nice. Number four is a movie I'd never heard of before called Bloom in Love. Uh, it's a Paul Mazursky film with uh, Chris Christopherson and Susan Anspaugh. That's mm-hmm. what I know about that. Right. Uh, number three was The Emigrants, which is a Jan Troel film, which is, I think, Swedish. It's also in the Criterion Collection. Uh, Max von Sydow and Liv Ullman are the two in there. Uh, number two is a movie I detest. It's called The Last Tango in Paris. <laughs> I don't like this movie at all. I have not seen it since uh, since my film school days. Um, it's, you know, I, I know it's deemed a classic and everything. I just haven't gone back to revisit it. Yeah. And number one, which is I fully support of, and I, I expressed my love for this earlier, was Bergman's Cries and Whispers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's our list. From Mr. Roger Ebert. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I, so now we can just kind of, we'll, we'll say the plot and then we'll put our thoughts out there. So um, uh, this movie is real slice of life-ish. I can't tell if it's like, it seems like it's they've the, a group of people who have already graduated. Um, and it's sort of the like, what do we do with our lives kind of moment. Um, Richard Dreyfus is supposed to go to college. So his conundrum is that he's supposed to go to college, but he's not sure if he wants to leave. Uh, Ron Howard as Steve, his big thing is like, should he or should he not stay in his relationship with uh, Cindy before he goes? Um, Paul Lamott's thing, it doesn't seem like he's going, but his sort of thing is like, I'm known as the guy who races cars in town. Well, am I, am I going to ever be anything more mm-hmm. than this? And, uh, you know, Charles Martin Smith as Terry is basically like, I need to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> and that's basically what he, he spends his night doing. So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to denigrate the plot, but that's, it's pretty, we have four guys and they each have their four things that mm-hmm. they're, they're going with. Um, so I, I took a bunch of notes, but I sort of at my end here, I have a bunch of like bullet points. I already talked, I already mentioned kind of what, you know, what is George Lucas's legacy? Um, I want to start off with this. Is this movie funny? I don't. Okay. I know it's a big, bold question, but like, I, I'm going to start with it. I, you know, okay. I did 
laugh at some of it, but I think it was more so um, just some of the situations, like when Mackenzie Phillips is in the car with uh, Paul Matt, and d- just the way she starts throwing out like. I'm not going to rape you or you, I'm going to say you're going to rape me. So I I was kind of like taken aback a little bit and I kind of laugh like, Whoa, where, where this escalated quick. But, um, I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't think it was, uh, very funny. Um, I did appreciate the slice of life aspect of it and kind of the casualness of the narrative and, and just not necessarily having a, uh, uh, you know, fixed plot like point A to point B to point C. Here we go. It was just the interweaving of the the storylines. I actually thoroughly enjoyed. I did not, you know, giggle my ass off or anything yeah, through it. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. Well, in part, I mean, you know, and, and I feel like I I had this conversation a lot, particularly on on the show I do with Melissa mm-hmm. Below Freezing, because we mentioned all the time, like you know comedies just don't age well. Like mm-hmm. they can. Like I think the maybe some of the all time classics will, but. You know, it's it's hard to be like, you know, when like when Wedding Crashers came out, I thought it was hysterical. Mm. And I still think it's funny, but there's also like there's the whole side character of the brother, and it's like, how necessary is this? Yeah. And but this is this is a totally different kind of is it funny years later? Cause like like that review talked about how you'll howl with laughter. And I'm like, when? And like I get it's it's I think it's great and funny and kind of in a charming way when um Richard Dreyfus has kind of been abducted by the pharaohs and he's got to yeah. rig up the police car yeah. and what, oh God, what does he shout? I definitely, I definitely wrote that down. Um, in something about injustice, stand for injustice. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then they, they drive <laughs> off and, yeah. and the whole, whole back end of the police car comes off and that, that got me. I was like, that's, that's yeah. good. You, yeah. you fucked with them. Yeah. But I definitely did not find myself like laughing yeah it wasn't it, it it wasn't a laugh out loud type of movie for me i mean I'd, I'd smile throughout some of it and again i think more so my uh appreciation of it was uh just kind of the the essence that it captured and that necessary that wasn't necessarily anything funny it was just like this era and i always like i think when movies can pull that off it it automatically has me whether i'm familiar with the era or not and i happen to actually really like and i know we'll get there the music from this oh, era we should we can just talk about oh, it oh okay. absolutely yeah, I think, um, you know, it, I grew when when I was growing up, my mom would be getting ready for work in the morning. I kind of wake up and she would always have oldies playing. And I'm not going to even try to claim that I'm a, a super knowledgeable of the artists or anything, but I love the sound. I love that type of music. And so the um, as the movie started and just going through it and just like the wall to wall sound in this movie is awesome. I bought the soundtrack like I stopped the movie and just bought the soundtrack real quick and then started playing it because it it it's just stacked and and the way it is used and the way they do the sound in the movie with the music is is phenomenal it's it's such a I mean I don't know if we want to get into this now but Walter Murch you know did yes, the, the did. sound design and what they call it what world I uh worldizing worldizing yeah is the thing yeah mm-hmm. so and I thought and it was amazing like one thing I think I take this movie for granted because I didn't realize like how many things American Graffiti did first, mm-hmm. essentially. Like it's now now it's just kind of commonplace that, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a, a storyline that's, uh, like I said, you know, straight through. You can have interweaving storylines now. Yeah. Um, and that's very common. But back then, you know, when Lucas was trying to get it made, people were like, what's what is the story or what's the plot? There's yeah. no plot. We're not. But um the way he captured like the music and you could, 
you could just feel it in the movie, like the way they would, you know, set up the speakers, play the sound, but then record it on a microphone. And that's how like they, they put the sound in. It wasn't just like laid in on a, on a soundtrack in post was fantastic. And I mean, Walter Murch is a God anyway. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's that. I, I think, um, that 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 element of it I really appreciated, uh, uh, and I thought it, it it enhanced the the story. And and again, not necessarily thinking it was it was funny, but it was just this slice of life that I thought was captured really well by the performances. Kind of how you know they talked and and the the slang they would use, and and just the the music that they that they incorporated into it was was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and and I won't claim to know all of these songs, but like I'm, you know, I'm looking at the the soundtrack, and obviously we start with you know Rock Around the Clock, mm-hmm. which is great, and Sixteen Candles, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just I'm just going through it here. Uh, Surf and Safari, Little Beach Boys, there, yep. Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, Barbara Ann, yep, but not the Beach Boys version of Barbara Ann, the Regents version of Barbara Ann, mm-hmm. um, Johnny Be Good. Uh, I mean, there's just there's just so many Love yeah. Potion number nine. Mm-hmm. It's so. And, and like, and you know, the bulk of the budget went towards getting the music and, and you know, and when you're so specific with an idea, you know, you really hope it works so much so that, you know, Lucas wrote in the songs in the mm-hmm. script, like mm-hmm. this is the song that's going to be kind of playing over it. I did like hearing Ron Howard's recollection of being told that this was a musical, which is misleading because I remember being like, well, I can't sing. So I don't, you know, and yeah. George Lucas, I, I mean, again, this is Ron Howard's recollection, but never, never told him. No, 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 it's not a musical in that sense. It's yeah. like it's it's musical, but it's not a musical. Yes, yes. Which, which is a key distinction. Probably should have made that clear <laughs> yeah. to the actors because I know, like, if I was told, like, oh, it's a musical, I'd be like, oh shit, okay, I'll get my sixteen bars prepped and get yeah. it ready. But like, you know, yeah, it's a bit misleading. Yep. Um, and and yes, I agree. There were some fun. I I do love. I love the um the Falfa um, Milner back and forth when they finally mm-hmm. kind of see each other for the first time and the back and forth. I, I think my favorite line is like that, that, that color, the color of your car, it looks like it's a cross between piss yellow and puke green. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> That's good. Yep. Yeah, that was good. And then like, but then like she, what's her name? Chimes. She goes, your car is uglier than I am. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There, there were some gems in there. Definitely. I think uh, like, like you said, I mean, just the review, it'll make you howl with laughter. I think definitely at the time because, and you would mentioned you know uh, wedding crashes i mean i'm even thinking of you know back when and i know this movie is kind of not looked well upon now but american pie right when that originally came out i died i was dying in the theater i've watched it within the past uh few years and the comedy doesn't necessarily stick the landing a lot i still laugh at some of it because that's i you know i was 19 when that 18 19 when that movie came out so it's still like the I have like a, a soft spot for it. It's definitely not woke by any means, but I, uh, it's so funny that you, I, cause that's, I have, I said the American pie connection, which I, which I, I had down here uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Charles Martin Smith looks so much like Sherman from that movie. It's not even funny. <laughs> yeah. And besides not being a redhead, I got the, the vibes were all there. Um, and mm-hmm. Charles Martin Smith, maybe most known for this. I, I associate him way more with the untouchables. He's the, He's the banker guy of the crew yes. who keeps like, you know, we can get him for tax evasion and um, just a great character yeah. actor. But like, you know, it's so funny how well regarded and respected. I mean, you know, this movie jumped places in on the AFI's Top 100 when they redid that list. And yet, you know, two of the characters of, of, of the four main guys, one of them, his sole purpose in the movie is to get laid. Mm-hmm. And the other one is all about whether or not he's going to break up with his girlfriend or not so he can get laid when he goes to college. Yep. And 
I, I'm like, I, and I'm sitting back here going like, part of me, I'm not even going to try to judge it. Cause it's like, I remember what it was like to be a like post puberty, like female driven guy in mm. high school. Like I, I, so like, I get it. Like I get it. You know, you want to get laid as it were, mm. but it's just, it's crazy how, when it was made or who made it and like the stigma behind the movie can sort of be why it's more remembered than the other. And, mm-hmm. and American pie came to mind because I think I actually think other than the stuff with Nadia in the bedroom, I think that movie really actually holds up, mm-hmm. but you can't, you can't just skip the part that these guys are web broadcasting a girl <laughs> getting naked in a bedroom and then pleasuring herself. Yes. And, and like, so yeah, that, Age terribly. Yes. That's yeah. no good. I think that's the main thing I was pointing out. And and just even the fact of that scene, it really puts a damper on that movie. Yeah. Outside of that, it's I, I still get a kick out of a lot of it. And, you know, um, Stifler, like that, the characters like that always, always, yeah. I, I'm always a fan of. And the of, group so. of guys. And, and, oh, like, yeah. and, and they're, you know, and their high school careers are coming to an end. Like there are obviously some, some parallels here. Yeah. While we're speaking of parallels, should we just talk about Dazed and Confused now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, now this, it for me, Dazed and Confused is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's great. And I think that movie, I laugh at. I, yeah. I, I think Dazed and Confused is funny. Um, and it has the benefit of, you know, you have some potheads in it. and But the way it handles the the marijuana, it's, it's much more subtle. It's not over the top. Like, yes, there's stoners in it, but um, the way... It ca- and and freaking uh, Matthew McConaughey's character yeah. would have been he's he's just classic in that movie. And uh, what what really struck me is because I I watch Days of Confused maybe at least once a year. Um, it, it it's a go to for me. I had seen American Graffiti maybe it's probably been a good fifteen years since I've seen it uh, and then watching it for this podcast. And I was shocked at the parallels, like some of the story beats, some of the characters. Milton's like McConaughey's character in the sense like McConaughey isn't gonna leave town. Yeah. He's you know, and yeah. Milton even if Milton feels like he's kind of stuck there or whatever, he just has no desire because he's razzing uh Kurt about leaving and stuff like that. Yeah. So um but God, yeah, there were some story beats that were I'm going through my notes, uh that yeah, I mean, even with uh, with um, Randall uh, Pink in, yeah. in Days to Confused, he doesn't. He's not going to play football by signing this thing, and it just there's there's like these these significant, I think, parallels that I'm kind of like, hey, Linklater, did you, did you have this playing on in the background while you were writing the script for Days and Confused? And- well, and and there's something, to, and I think this is where we go to Lucas being, you know, I, I, kind of a more bland director. <laughs> Because I, I think where this movie fails, and, and I should say that this is my first watch. Okay. There was of of yeah. the of the seven movies that I'm doing for this, this is one of three that I, I hadn't seen before. And and you're right, a Days and Confused owes a lot to this movie. But you know, with with Linklater, it's one of those things where if you don't like dialogue driven movies, you're not gonna like his movies. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and that's why like I I love Days and Confused. The before trilogy I think collectively like as one thing or one of my favorite pieces yes. of cinema ever. Yeah. And, and boyhood I think is also just a, a, a marvel. Mm-hmm. I think, and I, I am, and I, I'll just, I am a huge fan of Richard Linklater. Mm-hmm. And even though it's very clear that like the one influenced the other, I think that's where Linklater took it and be like, but I'm going to improve upon mm-hmm. it. And like, exactly. there's all these things that like Lucas in the retrospective, Lucas is talking about how I wanted to talk about how we're, you know, the, make comments of like the British pop invasion mm-hmm. and how we're going into Vietnam. And I'm like, 
yeah, but your movie didn't do that. Yeah. Your movie actually didn't like about the idea of leaving home and what's next. Mm-hmm. Sure, and that's that's pretty obvious. But I think you get those deep discussions in Days Confused, yeah. as well as just some funny scenes and some other things. Well, and Linklater, he was a, a philosophy major, I think, I or think something. So too. Yeah, yeah. So, and you get that, and it's obvious. I mean, uh, in especially like the before, like tr- like just their conversations. It's yeah. this guy, and then like Waking Life. Good lord! I mean, it's the, his. And in Dazed and Confused, just the way they they talk or what they're talking about, you could tell it's like him having this philosophical conversation with himself and just like basically bouncing it through the characters and like, so it has a it has much more um, dimension to it, I think, than than American Graffiti. Uh, and like I said, it's just one of my favorite movies, so I'm gonna give the edge to Dazed and Confused. No, 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 but of course, uh, of but course. yeah, it's um, I think you know. Uh, like you said, Days of Confused uses music really well, um, similar to American Graffiti. But I do th- there. There's I feel like there's more heart in Dazed and Confused than than there is in American Graffiti. And just hearing, you know, you you mentioned the retrospect and and hearing the interviews with with Lucas, I think he thinks he did more than he really did in it. If that if that makes sense, <laughs> yes. um, he he seems very. And I'm sure we'll 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 get to it here. He just seems very um, self-assured in what he's doing, and it, and sometimes I'm kind of scratching my head, being like, I, I mean, hell, he's he's accomplished again so much in film and advanced it in so many ways. So I'm not trying to shit talk him. I just in hearing his his ego, I think a little bit is a little skewed on like what he accomplished with the movie, if that makes sense. No, it, totally. <clears throat> and it's it's funny because I. You know, I, I, I didn't do much research before I had watched it. You know, I did some of the bait, like looking up what awards I was up. Yeah. And and I'd always known that American Graffiti was up, had a couple of Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. And, you know, I got done watching it and I, you know, it, it's. Well, I got to be honest, I'm not a big fan of this movie. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of it. And and I it does feel like. It feels kind of bland to me, and I, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's a word that we've thrown yeah. around a couple times now. But outside of a couple of key moments, and then like again, all the things that we've kind of touched upon the the using two cameras and the way that they mounted it, and and um, and like you know, when you talk about that sort of that the hubris of of George Lucas, the idea that he was he wanted to DP the movie himself, mm-hmm. and and like real, I mean, and I'm glad he realized that he couldn't. Yeah. And, but like, and so, so in terms of unsung heroes, my, my off-screen unsung hero is, is, uh, Haskell Wexler. Yes. Who I, unfortunately isn't even credited as one of the DPs on the movie. He's no. credited as the visual consultant, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, which is fine, I yeah. guess. Um, and I'm, and you can easily go with Walter Murch as like an, as another one. Cause I, obviously his impact on the, on the end of the film is, is also huge, but like, mm. I, you know, there, there are people like, Robert Rodriguez who want to do, do everything themselves. I mean, and literally like, like write the music for their movies mm-hmm. as well. And like, that doesn't bug me when I see something like that, mm-hmm. but he's also like, there's also a, a prestigeness to this movie in a way. And I don't know. I think there's, but again, that, that cocky self-assured, I'm just going to do it on my own, you know, pre like pre star Wars pre, like I've, I've, I've uh, earned my stripes yeah. mentality. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. rough. Yeah. Well, especially after he almost bankrupts American Zotrope with THX. And then, so, and then he goes on, he does American graffiti and granted, I mean, 
everyone's telling him it's going to be a failure. No, no studios are getting behind it. Everyone, you know, tell him there's a story of Francis Ford Coppola after a, a screen saying that he was going to buy the film uh, back so yeah. he could release it. Right. So um, there's that. It becomes a big hit. He goes on to make Star Wars, which is gigantic. And yeah. that's an understatement. But <laughs> when so what I what I thought was funny is that so there's like a couple moments that the studio made him cut down. Right. There's. um the scene in, at the hop. Oh yes, yeah, where, the th- yeah, yes. There's like the three. There's like three uh, moments throughout that the studio insisted he cut, so he did. But when Star Wars comes out and and VHS is just starting to you know be a thing, um, and it's airing on TV, he insists that they put this material back in. Now I'm kind of, I looked at those scenes and I'm like, you could lose them. I mean, it's not necessarily anything, but he's so insistent that it needs to go back in and it's his vision and stuff. And, and I'm just glad that he never went back and toyed with any of his other movies because that could have been disastrous. And I'm being very sarcastic because (laughs) he's, uh, he's, he's, I'm sorry. Um, the, the original Holy Trilogy was, was just fine and didn't need, didn't need the the tooling. I, you know, I'm, I'm saying what's been said a, a billion times over, but it just, it, I really started to see it because I've, you know, maybe I just haven't seen a lot of interviews with him recently or just kind of skipped my mind. And the obviously the the redos he did on the original Star Wars trilogy left a bad taste in my mouth personally. Yeah. yeah. But you just he has this ego about him, and it's kind of like, whoa, dude, like pump the brakes a little bit. Well, it's so. funny, and I don't, and I totally okay. So I just want the the three scenes were the like the telling off the teacher at the dance. Mm-hmm. Um, the used car salesman thing, yeah. and then um, it's Harrison Ford singing yeah. uh, to Cindy Williams. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. I mean, those scenes don't forward the plot. They're and they're all sort of meant to be comedic moments that are taken out. And and Lucas talks about that the the initial cut of this movie was three hours long, yeah. which you know I guess then they get to haggle over like five minutes is is interesting. Um, but I, I've I've had this thought for a while, and I think about the the big like the big boys that came out of the '70s. I think of George Lucas, Coppola, Scorsese, and Spielberg. Mm. No, no disrespect to Brian De Palma. Mm. Um, but like, I, I, you know, I almost feel like Coppola shouldn't even be included in that group anymore, just based on the fact that he hasn't made a a like a great big movie in a long time. But like Lucas, I think is the most egregious of the bunch. And yeah. again, I'm not what he's done to the 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 actual filmmaking side of things cannot be undervalued. Yeah. But absolutely. as a filmmaker, you you know, it was 12 years between Star Wars and Phantom Menace and then we all like to have complete creative control over the prequels. We all saw what those looked like, you know. Yeah. And and I and I'll be this is I mean, I don't like any of them outside of the lightsaber battle between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Darth Maul. Oh, yeah. And that. Like, honestly, like, I, I don't need to watch any of them. That's that's a mic drop scene. That that uh, that that lightsaber fight is, I would say, arguably the best one in all of the films. Because oh, it's, 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 it's phenomenal. It is great. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, and, and I, I just can't believe that we, I mean, I don't know. I guess I can believe it. Like, the reference with which his name still has, it's like, but why? Like, And I get it. I'm not an idiot. I get why. But I'm also like, I, I want to look at the finished products that you've done. I want to look at your, what have you made? And it's like, it's just these things. Yeah, yeah. I think he's. I, I I think he's a great idea, man. Like again, you know, you get Indiana Jones, you get Star Wars, yeah. you get like these these phenomenal like concepts. It's just 
when he's behind the execution of them, I, I think his material is better suited when, you know, you have other directors doing it. And I think that, you know, it was funny. He's talking in the, in the retrospective about like, he didn't want to write it. He hates writing. And then he didn't want to do this. He hates this. I'm like, do you even like filmmaking, dude? Like it's like, you've done so much for it, but he just, he seems grumpy all the time to me. So, um, nonetheless, I mean, he has, as we've stated, he's, he's given us quite a bit and there, there's a lot of films out there that would not exist just because of the inspiration that he gave young filmmakers back when star Wars comes out and stuff. For sure. So, so I, I don't want to belittle his, his, um, effectiveness or, or, or his importance in film. I just, I just want him to check his ego at the door a little bit. I think so. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Um, so we're, you know, talking about a, a bunch of the stuff in the movie, um, you know, and that he is kind of a, he's not an actor's director. He's definitely like a, a visual one and, and, and editing and post and putting it together. Um, and, and I, I do think that what works well for the movie, especially towards the end is, is the cutting back between characters and how they, when they intersect, like, uh, uh, John coming back in to kind of help Terry when he's kind of getting mugged, trying to get the car back and stuff. Like, I love the world's coming back together. There is one cut though that I found kind of kind of hard. It's a really hard cut. So um, we're following Kurt around. He's just kind of walking around town, and that car pulls up with girls, and he recognizes the one. And I actually really love because it, it's so indicative of him. He asks them, "Where are you going?" And they say, "Nowhere." He goes, "Kind of come along." It's like great. He's going nowhere. It's very mm-hmm. much I got it. Kurt's Kurt's path is not clear. He doesn't know what he wants to do right now. Mm-hmm. And and I think Kurt is the most fleshed out of the characters. Yes. Maybe because his goal or not his goal, but his problem is the most clear. I think, you know, we've all faced a time of like, I don't know what to do next with my life. And that's great. It's very much there. And then we cut away. Um, we go back to the dance. It's actually, where we get the go kiss a duck line where Ron, Ronnie mm-hmm. Howard's telling off the principal, I guess. And then we, we, um, we, we cut back to Kurt who's in the car with the girls, but now all of a sudden he's chasing the dream girl again, the girl he's seen earlier in the mm-hmm. movie, but there's no, there's no, it's just, they're in the car. He's like, don't let that car get away. Yeah. And we're like, wait, what? Yeah. The last time we saw you, you weren't even in the, that yeah. car yet. Yeah. And it was a, it was a rough cut. And you know, for, for, you know, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't up for best editing, but like it, it, it has been praised in terms of its cross cutting thing. And like, there are some cuts where I'm like, what happened? Where did the story go? There's, it's, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I think that's, you know, as you had mentioned, there's a three hour, the originally it's three hours. So obviously there's probably a lot of stuff within there, but yeah. I mean, even with, uh, with, with Harrison Ford's character, like every time you see him, he has a new girl in the car. <laughs> I'm like, where, what, how much time has passed? Where are you? Where's this even occurring? Like, how are you meeting these? My, women? my so. favorite. So he's got the girl in the car, bef- not during the race, but when they get to the light mm-hmm. and he, he peels out, he's got the girl. When he pulls up later to pick up Cindy Williams, there's no girl. Yeah. And there's like, Wow, I, I, I'm interested in the scene where you ask her to get out of the car, That's, I guess. I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking that too. I was like, I want the scene like, where did she go? Why did she get out? Like, did he kick her out? Did she insist on leaving? I want to know like what happened because yeah, every time we bounce back to him, someone new's in the car, there's no one in the car. It's like, is he a serial killer? Are they in the trunk? I don't know. So I, You never know. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess when the car explodes at the end, that would certainly make for one hell of a police report. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why, um, why are there five skeletons in your trunk? I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so then, uh, sticking with Kurt for a second, because again, and I, you know, I, 
I might so I there's not a there's not really a shot of the movie that I I I cling to. Um but I do love the scene between him and Wolfman Jack when he doesn't know that that's who it is. And, yeah. and like, it's actually a really endearing, nice kind of scene. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the most, I think it's the most fleshed out we really get of any of the characters at any moment. And, I, and then when he, he leaves and he can hear him doing the voice and it's like, oh, I, I, that was him and blah, we're going to, you know, it's all great. But it's, it's like soured when you kind of find out that the dream girl actually is a prostitute. She, cause because I, again, I want to make sure I get, well, what did she say? I, I have the line here. I cruised third street mostly. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, so I, the way I understood or is she it, a prostitute? I, I'm not sure. I, the way, at least, um, I thought Lucas had explained that she's not even real, right? She's like a siren. And there was supposed to be either, I think at the very beginning, it was supposed to be her driving through like a drive or whatever, but she was supposed to be ghostly. Right. And they just, they didn't have the budget to shoot it properly, but that is an interesting line. Yeah. I cruise third street mostly, you know, it's funny. I, I, that stuck out to me. I didn't, I didn't connect that, but I was like, why do you just cruise third street? What's, I mean, yeah. Interesting, interesting catch. That's, uh, um, but, and so, and then again, another thing I, I, I think one of my favorite tidbits that I got from the retrospective was just, um, well, all the actors would be like, he would always say terrific, terrific take. That's great. But like they would go, well, if it was terrific, why are we shooting it again? And I love the example of Charles Martin Smith waiting outside of the liquor store trying to get some. And when the guy eventually goes in and like kind of robs the place that every time it came out, he would catch the bottle perfectly. Mm-hmm. And then it's the one take in the movie where he it almost hits the ground and he picks it up. Yeah. And and that's the take because it's the most you know, it's not a mistake, but it's the most like, oh shit. Yeah. Like it, it looks the, the rawest. And, yeah. And it goes the same thing with the almost crashing or actually kind of crashing the, the moped yeah. at the beginning. Um, I think it's Candy Clark who talks about flubbing a line in that same scene at the, um, where she like kind of stumbles over her words. Yes. Yes. And she was like, I hope that's not the take in the movie. And then it is. Yeah. And it's like, but, but it is, it also, it feels the most real. Exactly. And again, it's like, I want to give him credit for that. Because it's a great choice, but then again, it's also the kind of the the um the uncomprehendable um intel like not intelligence um creativity of the actors. You don't even know that you're doing it. You don't mm-hmm. know that that's something that's going to work. Mm-hmm. And but shit, I, all those moments of that the things that almost or like the same thing with the water balloon actually hitting her yes. in the face. Yeah. Yes. Right. Those are all very clear prime examples of like. That wasn't what was supposed to happen, but then the reactions and everything else are so genuine. And I do think, I think that this movie, when it works the most for me is when we're watching these people be as, as genuine as possible. Mm -hmm. And it's actually more of the stagey moments that I don't like. I don't like the shaving cream on the car when they stop, which first I was like, how much shaving cream is in that thing? That's just, that's impressive. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure shit made back in the fifties was better than it is now, but like that's, that's, that yeah. can's only so big. Exactly. I mean, yep. <laughs> I, um, but yeah, the I mean the improv stuff I think really did really did help. 
mm-hmm. with, with the parts that I, I clung to the most. Yeah, well, and I think, too, especially the improv, you know, like the, the last scene of the film or after the, the race um, because mm-hmm. they had to shoot it so quick. And they're basically like, get out there and just here's basically get from point A to point B in this conversation, go. And I thought that was great. Like, yeah. And, and be, before even realizing that they that they were just kind of improv those moments that felt authentic to me too like when milton's talking about oh he had me beat he had me beat yeah. and and terry the toad is um is is trying to you know pep him up or whatnot yeah. but i thought i thought that was great and um cindy uh cindy and ronnie howard uh <laughs> going through going through that after she gets out of the car uh, you know after it ex- or prior to it exploding but she's hysterical and he's and now all of a sudden now he's not gonna leave and it's but there were it was Really, that that felt very authentic and, and real to me, as opposed to like like you said, some of the other stuff. You come out, uh, the guy comes out from Robin the the liquor store and tosses it. If you catch it, I mean, it feels choreographed. You feel like, and I yeah. think that I think the right choice was to use like the bumbling of it or whatever. It makes it. And again, at the beginning, when when he shows up on the the scooter and runs it into the you know like yeah. crashes it, great moments that that. Just the subtle, not, not not the subtlety, but the um, authenticity. Like yeah, saying, you well, know? and it's it's you know it, that's the kind of thing that you have to it it you know it's I feel like it's common if you know it, but like you know you you it's like it's like in football and say play through the whistle, mm. it's like you, you play till cut yep. right, and nobody said cut. Yeah. And he even mentions like there was a moment there where I would, I waited for a second for somebody to yell cut. Yeah. It never happened, <laughs> so I just went about doing the rest of it. Yeah, which which is great. Um. Oh man! Uh, oh well, no, that's what I wanted to go to. Um, you mentioned that you know Ron Ron Howard deciding, oh, I'm not gonna go now, <laughs> and I I couldn't help but think too, and and there are, there are movies like this too where I I often think like man, high school is always so important when you're in it, mm-hmm. and oh man, it's just like I I want to and like even like even because I I you know I teach up at Western mm-hmm. and and I tell my students who are about to leave it's like I listen this all feels like the most important thing that you're doing and because because right now it is and and don't ever think like don't think that it isn't but like also know that you are like you've you're scratching the surface of what you're going to do like if you continue to, to to act if you continue to do this like this is only the beginning so like remember everything fondly but like don't like you can get stuck here. You can yeah. get stuck in, in like this and all oh, these friends and these things. No, go and do more. Go sp- spread your wings. Yeah. It was just so funny because I always, the people who never really leave high school, you know, yes. the people oh, yeah. who get stuck in like, no, these were the best times and these are the people and like, that's what I want. And I think that's, I think that's uh, one of the most tragic things, uh, you know, in life is that the, the people that get stuck in those eras, especially like high school or whatnot, that do not want to leave. And I'm, I'm sure you, you have many people you can reference. I do as well. Like from my, my graduating class, like some people that just never left or look at it as their best years versus, you know, uh, get out there, go explore stuff, you know? And I think that was the one thing in, um, with with Kurt and uh, Steve's uh, plotline or or story that Kurt doesn't want to leave, and I kind of wanted to just slap him, like reach in the screen, and slap him, and be like, "Dude, get the hell out of this town!" It's yeah. obvious that that it's kind of a stale town or whatever. You can get trapped here. Yeah, and uh, and you know every Milton's giving him some shit. Uh, Steve's trying to get him to leave, and then conveniently ends up you know staying himself. But what 
I, I, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of tragic. And he, again, even just, you know, we were talking about Days and Confused seeing Matthew McConaughey's character. That was really sad. You're hanging out with high school students, dude. And you're like, what, mid twenties or something like that. I don't know how old he was supposed to be in Days and Confused, but even with Milton, it's like, dude, you've, you've been graduated for a few years. You have to have been, why are you still here hanging out with, with seniors in high school? I mean, go, go live life. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember definitely having some strong thoughts when I went to my 10 year reunion and being like, oh, you left, yeah. you did some things you didn't. Yeah. And, and I, you know, not, su- not surprising. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. I, I can relate. So, um, we definitely have to talk about the, uh, the final title card mm-hmm. of the movie. Uh, so just, just so that people know what it just specifically what it is. Uh, John Milner was killed by a drunk driver in December of 1964. Terry Fields was reported missing in action near an An near Anlock in December of 65. Steve Bollander is an insurance agent in Modesto, California, and Kurt Henderson is a writer living in Canada. Um, so obviously, Pauline Kale's review sparked some stuff um, about the fact that we only got the title cards for the men, and uh, even Gloria Katz and Willard Hike, when they mm-hmm. read the script and saw, it, it was like. They they weren't really for it, yeah. so I guess I guess just what you know. What are your thoughts about the way the movie ends? Okay, so I actually I, this is one thing I do recall from uh, from seeing it uh, a, the first time like 10, 15 years ago that I, it it struck me because I know it's a, it's kind of commonplace now. Where you could see you see a lot of like oh this is where they went off to or whatever, yeah. and I remember like the the. Um, Milton tag like he was killed by a drunk driver that struck me I was like dang Steve oh you didn't leave man you're yeah. stuck there you're stuck there yeah. uh Terry the toe it's like damn he got you know uh, missing in action that that's sad and then um Kurt okay he got out now he's writing stuff I like that but I did want to know what happened to some of the the, the female characters I mean yeah. it wasn't just the four guys and so revisiting it uh for the podcast I I remembered, I couldn't remember like what had happened to the characters, but I remembered the tag and I had the same response. They yeah. show the four guys and I'm like, okay. And then the credits, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a dick move, dude. What happened to the females? In so this? I will, I will, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the play by play of mine. So the movie ends or the, you know, planes in the air and, and these start to come up here. And my, my initial thought was these aren't real people. And I, I, I just have a weird pet peeve with movies. Like, if if you're not talking to me about somebody that actually existed, don't don't continue the made up past or their their made up futures. I don't need to know. So I never even got past that. And then I'm doing the retrospective, and they're pointing this out. I'm like, and then I got even more enraged by it. Cause like, oh fuck, that that yes, yeah. And like, and and I know, and like. I, I have not seen it, but I realize I th- I'm pretty sure from what I understand that the four women are the bulk of the plot in more American graffiti. But I'm, that but that's like that's an after the fact thing. Like th- I feel like that's trying to right a wrong in a way. Yeah. And, but but it just no. It that <laughs> you know it, to to my surprise I didn't realize. I mean maybe I had heard in the past and just totally blocked out. I didn't realize there was a sequel to to this movie, right? So and and I saw it and then I I actually just out of curiosity did some reading about. Oh man, that movie got trashed. So uh, you know so. another best picture nominee from this year. That there's a Sting too that I haven't seen. Oh really? Yeah. Yes. Okay. There, there, uh, you, go. there you go. Yeah. 
Exorcist two. Wow, that ex- look at that. There. Well, it go- well, I know. It's I haven't not seen. Quite. I've, no, no, no. I haven't seen Exorcist two. Exorcist three. I've seen that has. The, oh, you the, haven't seen the second one? No, I heard it's bonkers. We did. A, we did an episode on really? it. Really? Okay. Is not good. I, I need to. I need to listen because it's been notoriously just like shit on, and so I'm like, that sounds like my kind of movie. I need to see this, but I, I'm never just to take a quick uh, detour like as far as the exorcist is concerned i think the original ones is brilliant and the third one's a lot of fun yeah it, it, third one's great third, yeah, yeah but i've just never um like that's not a series that i i necessarily gravitated towards i guess i saw exorcist later in in life and uh later in life <laughs> like i'm a, like like i'm accomplished <laughs> later in life i saw exorcist um a lot later than i should have been you know just growing up with horror movies but uh but yeah, as far as sequels, okay. In our American Graffiti uh, chat here, I will watch Exorcist Two, the Heteric, right? Heteric, Heretic, Heretic, Heretic. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. See. Um. Oh, woof. It is. It's something. Awesome. It yes. Is really something. Yes. Um. So you know, I I've mentioned I you know I really like the the Kurt Wolfman Jack scene. Is mm-hmm. there a scene or shot that you know like that stands out to you as, as something that like yes, this American American Graffiti is great because of. Um, I, yeah, I would lean toward the, the Wolfman Jack scene. I think, I think is great. Uh, I like, yeah. Cause he, I think the audience knows it's him, but Kurt doesn't. And then as he kind of figures it out, it's just kind of a cool, like wizard of Oz type movie, right? Peeling back the curtain and, yeah. and seeing yeah. that. Um, other than that, I honestly, I will say, um, that, just the the amount of cars that they got in this thing <laughs> yeah. it was impressive like seeing those things like regardless i know we had talked like and for me it was visually it was a little flat but when you saw those cars oh my god dude and like i think what how many they had a couple hundred two three hundred or something like yeah, this something like and that. it was to i i would just have loved to have been there on the day to see all this like yeah. you know and yeah. that 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 would have been amazing but no i think as an overall scene yeah, the Wolfman Jack uh, is is sticks out the most. I, I will say though, I did learn something uh, as I was watching this when uh, Terry's uh, first cruising around and the the girls pull up next to him and the one uh, moons him. Yeah, I've uh, come to the determination that you know if you're gonna moon someone, roll the window down because smush butt. Whether you're a man, woman, dog, cat, it's not it's not a cool looking thing. So no. I, I did learn something in the process of watching this movie. Uh, Roll the window down if you're going to moon someone. Mooning yeah. is the kind of a lost art. Anyway, I was going to so. say, yeah. I, do people still really do that? No. I, I also the, the a phrase that has always felt like only in movies to me was uh, a knuckle sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. I was like, man, is that? Did people really say that? Yeah. And I don't. I don't know because that was not a that was not a '90s thing. Yeah. I was never like a your ass is grass. Um, whatever yeah. kind of moment. No, that that's that's fair. Yeah, that did that that jumped out at me. I I think I've always liked it because knuckle sandwich. I think is just a funny way of saying you're gonna punch someone. Oh yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I don't think I've ever used that in in my life. So yeah, um, there was a scene actually that just uh, uh, came to mind, and now it, it's escaped me. So chat about if I if I recall it, I will uh, I'll I'll chime in. But um, just I. I- I think I was I was gonna say is like I did I think there are quite a few unsung heroes of the movie. I, I mean I really like Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. although he's also pretty pretentious about like I did the movie because it was the first chance I had to like make an impact on the plot. I'm like, yeah. just calm down. Yeah, Harrison yeah. Ford. You actually he's, weren't as big a role in it, but he he's another one. Like in what was it? He was doing carpentry. Yeah. And he, unless they they were they offered him it was something like. 
$485 oh. and he wouldn't do it. So they said 500. Yes, like, that's okay. exactly like, right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, I guess, you know, back in the seventies when they were filming this at $15 is it, I know that inflation <laughs> is a thing, but I don't think it would have made that big of a difference. I, yeah. Who am I? I don't know. So. Um, and I loved, um, I loved Candy Clark as Debbie too. But as we were talking about, I go, actually, I think a real unsung hero of the movie, I mean, I guess he was nominated as a producer, but I don't know if this movie gets made without Francis Ford Coppola. No, because, no, it doesn't. Because they went, or I think it was, it was Universal who was like, we need a name to mm-hmm. attach to it. And, and, and Lucas was like, I'm casting young actors. I, I'm not going to have a name. So Francis mm-hmm. Ford, Ford Coppola attached as, as a, the main producer of the movie. So in a weird way, we have to, I, I mean, so Lucas, we have to thank Lucas because without THX bombing, right, uh, and almost bankrupting American Zotrope, or did it bankrupt? I can't remember if it did. It, if it didn't, it got damn close. But so Coppola then has to go off and do The Godfather because of THX almost bankrupting America. So, so thanks, THX. We got The Godfather out yeah, of I it at least. True. So, you I know, if, if, in, in a roundabout way. But yeah, it was because of that that um, he he comes back and he's like, OK, put my name on it. And then he championed it. I mean, I, I, I tip my hat to Coppola for uh, for, you know, getting ready to fill out the checkbook to, to buy it back. And, and he believed in what Lucas was doing. So, well, and ultimately it would have been, I mean, maybe better for, I mean, if he'd been the sole, if he had owned it outright, Mm -hmm. I mean, and and how well it did. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know now I think, you know, uh, inflation wise, maybe it's not, but I know at the time it was one of the, the most successful in terms of like dollar spent for dollar earned. Yeah. It it was a, it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. And and I I actually the first note I took because that's how the movie starts was just like oh look at Luke a Lucasfilm Coppola production like I mean and you see that now it's like look at those two fucking names right yeah, there like, yeah, that's exactly. a, that's a deal exactly. maybe maybe back then probably not because yeah. Lucas hasn't hadn't made his bones yet no but, no Coppola though I mean yeah, that that's obviously yeah yep. that that carried weight um, but yeah no I I I think uh, Coppola definitely I I definitely tip my hat to Walter Murch. I mean, just, just the, from a technical standpoint and what, what he did, um, with the soundtrack was amazing. It, it's, it's something that you, you take, like I said, a lot of the stuff that was done in this movie, I think you take for granted now cause it's so commonplace and he just developed that and, and made it. Made oh, it that was the other thing. Like the other kind of inadvertent thing was like George Lucas basically creating the role of a music supervisor. Yes. Based yeah, on yes. this. I, yeah. I wanted to, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause yeah, again, you, you don't think of that, but they use so much music and there was something uh, that he said. So when they, when they were trying to find like the rights for the songs and everything, they, I think Lucas wanted $35,000 more to buy the the record rights for the songs and um, the the studio wouldn't do it. They're like, no. Movie comes out is a huge hit. One year later, the studio's like, okay, let's release the soundtrack. They had to pay a million dollars to get the record rights. It's like, I mean, and I think that's that's kind of it's moments like that that I think feed the uh, the the ego of George Lucas. Or he's he was right. Yes, he was right. But yeah, you know, yeah. you know, another movie that sort of inadvertently or maybe maybe intentionally took a lot from this too in terms of how. Uh, a soundtrack can be just like a greatest hits compilation of an era is forced Gump. Oh yeah. Totally yep. just littered through yep. all, that's a good all call. of those songs. That's a really good call. That's um, a really good call. And, 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 and actually another movie that's very similar to is, um, 
is Stand By Me mm-hmm. because it's oh, also chock full of, of just hits from, from the time. The Stand By Me soundtrack is so good. Yeah. Um, Another the, one of those, I, yeah, it's, it's I, when we, Stand By Me was our very, very first episode mm-hmm. of the show. And, you know, it's like, I only, I think I only know of Lollipop as a song because they're singing it in yeah. the movie. Mm-hmm. And so, and like, you know, I, I, I'm not the biggest music aficionado, but most music I know is because I've heard it somewhere else, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. so this is a movie that's talk- oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's where this is from. Or now I get it. I get why something like The Simpsons or Family Guy mm-hmm. was riffing on this because it was an American graffiti. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do. I just I got to shout out Mel's uh, drive-in. The uh, I do like that. I think it is kind of a. Uh, Waiter. Oh, just, okay. we'll keep the train in. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> so I, Mel's uh, drive-in in this. I, I think there's a little soft spot for me because when uh, my wife and I lived down in the in the uh, Los Angeles area in Sherman Oaks, actually, we lived right off Van Nuys and Ventura, and there was a um, Mel's Diner or drive. It's still called a drive-in. It's a diner now, yeah. um, and it is pretty cool because if have you ever eaten at one or been to one? No. Okay. Yeah. So there's only I think they they closed the drive-ins down back, I can't remember if it was in the 70s, and then reopened them in the 80s. I may be getting the dates or the history a little bit twisted there, but they have a couple of them now. And it's, I mean, just your basic diner. It's, yeah. you know, but it's really cool if you go in, they have all the pictures of like the making of American Graffiti, like the original production stills of them, you know, with the cranes, Lucas hanging out of the car with the camera. Yeah. So for, and they have like at the, at each uh, table, they have like the little jukebox thing that you can, you can yeah. you know, yeah. look at the song. So it's, I, I do like that. And I liked, um, how they kind of used it in this movie as kind of like the hub or where people would go to. It's just Mel's Diner, little soft you know, spot for the, me. The hub, that's important because because kids now, these <clears throat> you know, kids these days, yes. which just sounds so stupid, but it's true. <laughs> like, I remember what it used, like the, the pre-planning it would take to be like, okay, so we're all going to meet at this spot mm-hmm. at this time because we don't have the means to communicate with each other. Yep. So like, we got to just, this is where we're going to meet. And like, that's, that is so gone now Yeah, that I, I do appreciate the like, yeah, that's, you know, oh, well, you know, whatever happens, we'll end up back at Mel's. Like, yeah. we just got it. We just know that that's going to exactly. be where we meet up. Exactly. It's a, it's a cool, like, it's a, it's a lost area. You know, you'd, you'd meet there, you'd be cruising the street, see people, where are you going? Where are you going? Okay, let's go. It was just like that, that kind of free floating lifestyle um, that, <laughs> like you said, does not exist anymore because you got texts, you got phones bah, you can be found you anywhere. can video chat your way to meeting up with each other exactly you just be like, oh, yeah. oh hey exactly. you're here i'm oh, not hey. lost you're on my you're on my phone yeah. <laughs> um so i guess i guess maybe the the last thing i want to ask and just kind of open question is like if you know what like if if i said you know what is there anything un, left unsaid on your end of things that you would like to say about american graffiti um you know i i think we've we've touched on a on a lot of it i think uh um, it's been a, yeah, it's been a good conversation. I'm still trying to remember that other scene that I was going to throw in, but, uh, but may, maybe if there's still some well, time, and, I'm racking my scene, brain. This, the movie is so chopped up <clears throat> because of that intercutting that it, you know, it does, it feels very, um, episodic in that mm-hmm. way, you know, and each, cause each time we come back to somebody, it's like they've moved on and now they're somewhere else. Right. Yeah. And especially with like, with Terry, right. We got Terry at the at the liquor store then we got Terry in the car post liquor store then we've got Terry outside mm-hmm. the car gets taken and they're walking in the woods and like 
you know, there's things like that that you know really gets really chopped up. That's yeah. Th- that's that was the scene again. I know we had talked about it, and maybe that's why I was trying to think if it was something else. But the liquor store scene, I actually really do like um, the when he first <laughs> when Terry try he's approaching the first guy and he kind of freaks out. And he's like, "What time is it?" Eleven yeah. forty-five. Guy goes in, and then the other guy comes up, and this was a moment I actually did laugh where he's like, "Sir, I lost my ID. Can you buy me a uh, buy me some booze?" And he's like. Oh, I, I lost my wife too. Her name wasn't ID. Like thinking, like he was thinking her name was IDY. And he's, I, I just love that little exchange uh, right there. It was so subtle. And I actually um, was watching it with the captioning on because kiddo's sleeping. So I got to kind of keep it oh, down. Yeah. So I don't think I necessarily would have picked up on that had yeah. I not been reading it. And I just thought, I was like, oh, that's a, that's a cool little, uh, little in, interaction right there. So that, that did make me laugh. I'll, I'll throw that scene into the mix too. So <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Um, Okay, so so I think we're we're at question time, mm-hmm. and so Chaz is our guest. I will ask you first: Do you think that American Graffiti should be in the book? All right, I'm gonna say yes. I do think it it should be in the book. I know it seems, um, and I again, I'm not trying to be a dick by any means. By you know, kind of, I'm not necessarily shitting on Lucas or like what I thought was rather stale. I think. For what he intended to do, what this movie um, uh, influenced moving, you know, again, similar to when when we were chatting about Blair Witch, I think like just the impact that it had, the soundtrack, the, the you know, worldizing, the um, just the essence, the era, the storytelling, whether I think it all works completely, I do think it has been improved upon. Uh, in subsequent movies, Dazed and Confused, as we talked about, but yeah. I do think that American Graffiti is is uh, is an important film, as is, um, and yeah, I do think it it should belong in there. So. I, I it's so funny. I I always find myself coming up to this sort of this brick wall in 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 deciding whether or not because I do think that I think this is a movie that reminds me in a weird way of Brazil where the make the getting Brazil made and getting Brazil seen mm-hmm. is what I think makes it an important movie. Yeah. And I think again, some of the techniques and some of the things that were generated from this movie and what it would go on to inspire mm-hmm. all important. And then I take a step back and I get very little and I go, but this isn't a film history book. Yeah. It's a book Fair. called the, th- no, no, I, this mm-hmm. is, I do this every time. Yeah. Ian would get very frustrated with me <laughs> when I would do that, but it's like, but, I go, if, if I'm asking if this is like a movie that you have to see before you are no longer alive on this planet, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with no. And it's the, I, I was hoping I wouldn't, you know, my good friend Ian, I love you, buddy. I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to not recommend one, but I, I can't. Yeah. I just don't. I, I think there are some things it's, it's, I, that are left to be desired in this yes. movie. So I agree. But I, here's the thing, though. I need help. Okay. Because I, I had an immediate thought of what I thought I would replace it with and then I have what I think is a better choice so given that this movie is considered a comedy by many um my instant and I rewatched this movie the other night too just so I my initial response was super bad Ooh. also about a group of guys right at the tail end of high school very similar like are we going to stay friends we're still trying to, and we're trying to get laid. It's got that, those, those vibes. And also it's not, um, it's not going back in time, but some of the outfits they wear towards yeah. it, it mm-hmm. has this weird nostalgic yes. kind of feel yeah. to it mm-hmm. that I think would be applicable and sort of 
in, in the same genre of of, of movies. Mm. But then there's a there's a really good movie that isn't quite about high school kids, but is also about um, sort of coming to terms with who you are at a young age, and it's way more dramatic and is way more respected, and it's not in the book. And the other movie I'm considering is Goodwill Hunting. Oh. And I get that they're not in high school, but these are the guys that didn't leave. These yeah. are the guys who were in town, and one of them does have the potential to move on and and isn't. And and like super bad feels more cheeky, and like I would have ribbed Ian a whole fuckload with it. <laughs> but Goodwill Hunting feels more like, well, yeah. I mean, isn't that just a better movie? And <laughs> yeah, who I I I don't know. Super bad has a very special place in my heart. I love Super bad, and uh, and I, I like that. I like that connection there. I see. I see the connections to both. Um, I think you probably give the edge to, to Goodwill Hunting though, uh, overall, I think, I think just, um, thematically and, and overall as, as a movie, I mean, it gun to my head, I'm going to turn on super bad before I turn on Goodwill Hunting. Sure. Cause I, I just, I love, I love the, uh, Apatow crew and, and Seth Rogen. Um, but I think Goodwill Hunting has a definite. Um, it there's a, there's a lot that mirrors American Graffiti, at least like with with the characters and kind of the the um, the themes. I think makes sense. So all right, well, well, I'll go with that. Both possible replacements, um, but I think Goodwill Hunting is sort of. I'm I'm surprised it's not in the book. Yeah. Anyway, and I think this is a good. This is a good like super bad. It won't surprise anybody that it's not in the book. Yeah. No. It exactly. Would be a gr- if great kind of fun pick, but I'll. So I'm gonna replace American Graffiti with Goodwill Hunting. Chaz, you're gonna keep it in. Yes. That's and that's awesome. I love when we split votes, but again. We also want to know what you think. So you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know, is American Graffiti as good as many people say it is, including Chaz? Uh, do you think it shouldn't be in the book? I'd love to hear your thoughts. So yeah, Facebook, Twitter, hit us up. You can find us on all the major places you listen, Spotify, Apple, Google. Um, Chaz? Yes. Thank you so much for being, no, thank being you. a guest Again, on the show. Honor, honor to be here. It, it's it's always a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me flap my gums for a little bit. Oh, no, no worries. And 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 we will I will bring you back on any any time. Oh, sweet. Um, hey, if you ever get to Sleepaway Camp, I'm uh oh, I'm, man. I'm your man. That might have to be on the other pod. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I, I, Sleepaway Camp oh, has oh, to have a hundred percent No, but it's not actually not that low. It's got it's high enough. Oh, that, it should be. It should be in the thousand one movies. It, it, you should actually, see Sleepaway Camp before you, you die. That's really 100%. Should. You really should. Yes. Um, and then, so stay tuned for next week where we tackle a movie that honestly, of, of all of the seven that we're doing, scares me the most because I, I, I don't know that I appreciate it as much as everybody else. Next week, we're talking about Blade Runner. It's going to be a thing. I, I have, I, you know what? I'll say it right here and we'll see if I, I have every intention of watching all of the cuts, Ooh. including apparently whatever the work print one is. Oh, good. You're, you're, you're a saint, my I, man. I that's, try. Uh, that's... Well, here's the thing. I, of, of the, I know how much Ian, like, like this is not his favorite movie, mm. but I know it's up there. Yeah. Like, and all of these are movies he loved, but like Blade Runner is like, he's, he, to quote him, he was a Ridley Scott fanboy. So yeah. I I want to I want to do it justice, so I'm gonna try my best. So, so Blade Runner is next week, uh, but until then, I am Adam, and we will see you next week.